Hello and thank you for tuning in to Link Stories today. I am your host, Malini Shah. My background is in communications and education and I have been on a journey of learning about well-being for as long as I can remember. This podcast shares a series of very easy to listen to interviews of just 20 minutes with a range of interesting professionals and people from a whole host of backgrounds. They will be sharing their story with a common thread of positive impact to humanity ranging from well-being, sustainability and social enterprise. I hope you enjoyed the episodes and please do get in touch to leave any feedback on linkstories@mail.com. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much. In this episode, I speak to Sham Devani, who has been commentating on financial markets since 2004 and has made numerous appearances on CNBC, Bloomberg and channels in Singapore, providing short and medium term views on markets. In this episode, he shares his journey of becoming a highly regarded FX analyst and shares his tips for staying sane in a highly fast paced environment. Sham, you've had a really interesting 13 years in investment banking and you've been working for Citibank, which is a very well-known financial institution, um, and you've been their senior market currency strategist for that period of time. Now, academic achievement played a slightly less of an important role in your professional journey within investment banking. Can you share a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, sure. It, played, it certainly played an important role, but perhaps slightly different to to many other um, stories. Basically, when, uh, when I was looking for work many years ago, about 15 years ago, uh, the only way in to these major investment banks was really through the graduate schemes. Now, my hurdle at the time was uh, really that I didn't have the, um, the A-level grades to, uh, to finish the application for, for these roles, even though subsequently, I had a, a good degree and even a master's degree. Um, the, the the kind of uh, the bit before that wasn't particularly strong, so I could never really finish an application and get into any of these graduate schemes, which at the time felt like the only way in. Um, so what ended up happening actually is uh, I was pretty committed to markets and market analysis, and was very interested in where all the different financial markets would go and how they behave. So I just started writing uh, about them from home and wrote a newsletter um, and ended up uh, getting picked up by, um, by someone at Citibank, uh, which was fantastic because it was exactly what I was looking for. Um, and, and then I, I started off as an analyst uh, instead of an associate, but uh, I had to uh, find a, a rather indirect route in, if you like. Interesting. So who did you send these newsletters to? I had written a, a couple. I'd put a lot of thoughts into them. Um, and then I sent them around to as many people I could think of, brokers, banks, other houses in the city. Um, you know, back then I was obviously a lot younger, just out of finishing my master's. I didn't necessarily know that many people. So I'd pick up and look up whatever I could and, and, and send them. And actually what ended up happening, the, the gentleman I sent to um, at Citibank, I, I even had to guess his email address. I knew his name and some of the work he did. Um, and then. Uh, um, I had to guess his email address. One of them went through and he was kind enough to reply. Um, presumably he liked what I, what I had to share. 
and mm-hmm. um, and then we kept in touch. And uh, you know, it took a while before um, before anything solid came along. But you know, a good several several months. But uh, it all um, it, it all ended rather nicely. So a little bit of investigative work on your part, communication, creative communication really helped you break into an industry that you thought may have proven to be a struggle otherwise. What would you say to anyone that really wants to break into an industry and wants to be successful, is really passionate about something, but may not have that educational backing? Um, So the first thing I would say to anyone um, who is committed to any given line of work is you you do need to, um, in whatever field, you've got to be qualified. Um, But then over and above that and beyond that, uh, you know, your, your commitment will, will keep you going. And even at times when it feels as though you, you've, you've turned over uh, every stone or every rock, you, you, you've just got to be persistent um, and you've got to be willing to adapt as well. You know, there'll be different methods of reaching out to people, uh, different ways of communicating, different ways of getting uh, what you need to, to get across um, uh, to the right people at the right time. So you've got to be flexible, but you've got to be persistent too. Yeah, I have a master's degree in um, economics, finance and management and, and the bachelor's before that was in international finance. So there was a lot of familiarity with uh, a lot of concepts and, and the way of thinking about um, these, these markets. Um, so at least a, a basis uh, was there. Um, however, having said that, I've got to, uh, I must say that a lot of people that do come into large institutions in the city, they don't necessarily have a finance or economics degree. I mean, people come with, I don't know, engineering degrees is a very common one. They come with degrees or, or law degrees, uh, you know, normally I suppose you'll, you'll then be a lawyer, but people end up mm. on, a, on a trading floor even with chemistry degrees or biology degrees. Sure. Um, so, yeah, th- this sort of happens. Um, I, I think a lot of it, um, or the work is, you, you learn a lot once you start, for sure. You're, you're, on, you're on a very steep learning curve. Um, but of course, if, if you're a little bit familiar with a lot of the concepts and, and the theories and um, the potential patterns at work or cycles and various things like that, uh, within your field, then you know that that's going to um, help you on that steep learning curve. You, you're going to be a bit faster at it. Um, but, uh, whatever, whatever your whatever your expertise is, it's going to help you. There's no such thing as as uh, wasted knowledge. <laughs> Definitely, I'm completely with you on that. And um, what was life like at Citibank on their trading floor? How would you have described it? Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, you had people from you know all sort all, all walks of life, really. Um, it was very international. You had people from everywhere. Uh, you've got to remember, though, of course, Citibank London the trading floor was probably you know, the biggest trading floor in the world, or if, if not the biggest, then certainly one of them. Um, you had the foreign exchange and fixed income department all on one floor. It was an open plan thing. 300 plus people in there wow. um, of all ages and you know, various backgrounds. It, it was a wonderful place. I mean, I, I, I felt very much uh, comfortable. There. Of course, when you first go in, it's you know, for a newcomer, it's very... Uh, you know, especially if you're young as well, then you're certainly alert and perhaps a little bit shy, but you, you get used to it. Um, it was a wonderful place. It's buzzing. I think things have changed a bit now because back then there was a lot of noise around as well. Um, mm. Speakers or telephone, a lot of screaming. And, you know, uh, now with, uh, with the development of technology, the way it has become, um, there's more focus on your screens um, and a lot of communication through the computers rather than uh, through voice. So. Uh, you know, things have changed. There's, sometimes you can go on some floors nowadays, uh, particularly if they're slightly on the smaller side, and it will feel more like a library than a trading floor or a marketplace. But uh, certainly when I started, it was good fun. So very energetic, high tempo. Um, um, the general culture in 
that sort of organization how would you describe that well i think that i think the overriding thing is that everyone was there to do a good job you know they were committed to do a good job whatever their role was, was you know within a big floor like that you have different people with different roles i think everyone was just um was just very much committed to do the best they they could um and, you know and a good a good thing about that organization is i think um there was there was always there were always people that you could you could talk to and get along with and learn from and would listen to you and yeah, it may not be everyone because that's never really the case, but it was generally a, a great vibe there. And what and were your- I think I think that's partly I think that's also partly what you know England and London has to offer. Uh, you know, people in in the UK are not necessarily shy. Um, you know, whereas other parts of the world, the, the culture can be a bit different. But in in London, it's it's a it's a healthy uh, a healthy balance between um, you know being being very professional. Um, and, and being very friendly as well. Sociable, I imagine, as well. But sort of, how, how would you describe trading floors in some of the other countries you travel to or worked at, and presumably for Citibank as well? How would they have been in contrast to the London trading floors? Well, the only other one I've, wo- I've worked at is, is in Singapore, um, which uh, is smaller. Mm, so, you know, that's an, that's an obvious difference. Um, and uh, and as I say, that's my, my my more recent experience. So um, by virtue of being smaller and the way technology has gone, a combination of that has, has meant that it's quieter as well. Um, but I've seen much more quieter places. You know, you go to the, the kind of uh, northern parts of Asia um, or China, and and it really can be very silent. Um, wow. So it it would it would um, it, it would vary. Uh, you know, different places have different cultures. Yes, and you can see um, that in their trading <laughs> floors as well. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It's a, it's a, not, you know, culture can be you know, subdivided. There'll be different work cultures is, is probably the more specific, accurate way of putting it um, within the wider context of, it, of a different overall mm-hmm. uh, national or regional culture. Sure. The work cultures are, are different in different countries. And what were your milestones, would you say, whilst you were working for Citibank? One, one obvious thing would just be that the... the couple of promotions I got along the way to, to be from, you know, to move from a, a relatively junior and inexperienced uh, analyst to, to then a subsequent um, senior one. Um, and, and then, you know, be given the opportunity uh, to be asked to expand the product in, in Asia, the product that we were dealing with didn't have representation in Asia. So, you know, that, that was nice as well. And then of course the work itself, you know, when, when, you, when you're committed to markets and you're forward looking, you're always dealing really with something that ultimately is an unknown because you're looking, you're trying to look into the future and trying to figure out what's going to happen next, either tomorrow or the next week or the next month or the next six mm-hmm. months or the next year or two. And so when uh, important things, um, w- w- when you get a few calls right, you know, I, I always consider them a milestone, whether, um, whether they actually are or not in other people's minds, I'm not sure. But, you know, it's hard work to try and, and, and get things right when you're dealing with the future. Um, Definitely. Inevitably, you're going to get things wrong. Um, you know, you can't uh, you can't escape that. But, uh, but I suppose that's what makes it uh, even more um, uh, what's the word? Even more satisfying when 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 certain things start to unfold the way the way you know you you anticipate them to sometimes. And figuring out patterns that are working for you did that have a role in your milestones? Because when you're dealing with currency. Uh, markets very uncertain 
um, fluctuations happening, um, uncertainties around so many different factors that are influencing currencies. What was your general recipe for? There was no real one formula. I mean, you've got to remember when I when I started um, in two thousand and six, it was the the very height of um, the housing market, uh, mm-hmm. both in in the UK where where I was based, uh, um, and even more so in the United States. Um, at, at least these countries, and and, and perhaps many others as well. Um, so there was it was a real turning point, uh, two thousand and six and two thousand and seven, because as we went into two thousand and seven. You had um, a massive credit uh, crisis and credit yeah. crunch, uh, and and things that had been assumed um, and used for years and years were, were becoming sort of questionable, like LIBOR, uh, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, and then it, it got progressively worse as we went into two thousand and eight, um, ending uh, with an with with an absolute panic. So you know, my experience started with with all this. Um, and what ends up happening is that a lot of assumptions uh, that had been made about intermarket relationships and, and formulas to use uh, to work out where certain markets would move if X, Y, or Z happened. You know, a lot of these things were really reevaluated by a lot of people, including um, policymakers, including mm-hmm. uh, academics, uh, other business people, bankers, uh, the, whole, the whole lot. Um, so that was, uh, I, I couldn't have, from an experience perspective, I, I couldn't have um, asked for a, a, a better sort of eye opener than, than those early years in my experience, because that's really when a lot, a lot had changed. Um, and that experience has, uh, has helped me along the way, because that wasn't the end of it. There were further crises as, as you go along. I the, mean, the, we're in one right now as well. So your exactly, exactly. We're, we're in one right now. Yeah, right. And so how have the currency markets um, been fluctuating? What have been the main uh, trends that you've seen during this COVID period? And how has uh, your previous experience well, the, helped you? The, well, the, the, the thing uh, here is um, actually in currencies, you've always got to remember there's a relative thing. So, you know, if you want to sell a currency, you've always got to buy another one. Uh, in order to do that. Now, when you've got a COVID-19 situation that's global, um, mm-hmm. and that is basically global more or less overnight, in a very short window, it, it, became, it became global um, yes. earlier this year. So, you know, it's very easy to make a case to sell a currency. Um, but then, of course, to do that, you have to then uh, choose to buy another one. And that's not such an easy case to make. Um, so, uh, that is that has basically resulted in in volatility in markets coming right back down after March in foreign exchange. Um, mm-hmm. So they're not they're not trending that aggressively, with, you know, with the exception of maybe just one or two um, one or two currencies. The major ones um, are not moving that aggressively. Um, the the typical currencies that move very quickly um, in in times of of panic, like we saw in March, um, are the U.S. dollar and uh, the Japanese yen. Right. Um, so this is uh, this is what would move, but again, they 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 come right back. Uh, they've they've settled down a lot more thereafter, and and experience will, will show you that. And anyone with experience in markets and currencies would would, would quickly come to that conclusion. If, if there's a crisis coming, then you quickly look at what the dollar and the yen are doing. What do you think speculators have learned most from this particular crisis? Been- well, I'm not sure. I think I think we're all still learning. Um, mm-hmm. It's remarkable the. Um, the way in which some of these stock markets have come back, 
um, depending on which one you're looking at, while, uh, while a lot of the world is still in lockdown. And it just goes to show that uh, some of the policy responses that, that have come about um, have really been uh, very, very bold, very aggressive, um, and so far have uh, resulted in um, a positive outcome in financial markets. Now, okay. what, their, what their overall outcomes are uh, for the real economy, we're just going to have to wait and see. You can't determine that right now because mm-hmm. you've got to wait for lockdown to end. You've got to see how, how things move, how many people come back into work, how businesses behave and all this stuff, which is, which is going to take a, a few months to, to observe and work out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the, the speed of the market reaction um, has, been, has been pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, I think that's certainly one lesson. Um, sure. I think another lesson, I think another lesson is, is perhaps that the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the U S dollar is not the, not the only safe haven. It's not the only thing to think about, uh, in currency space at a time like this. Gold has often been considered uh, a safer alternative. Would you say some speculators have started looking into com- commodities such as gold, um, or do they tend to stick with for FX trading? No, they certainly do look at that. Um, you know, I don't think anyone, well, I don't think anyone, sh- everyone should be looking at something like gold. I think it's very important. Um, and typically, uh, well, I think historically, anyhow, um, you know, well before certainly my time, but a long time ago, you know, uh, bullion uh, traders within banks uh, would, would be closely uh, related to the, the currency dealers. So it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, it wouldn't necessarily sit so far away. Uh, so, you know, an argument can be made with respect to gold that it's another currency, not just a commodity. So should it, should it be within the foreign exchange department or something yeah. or within a commodities department or something? So, uh, you know, for, so for people within the markets, within these, these financial markets, um, they'll, they'll certainly be looking um, at gold. And, and I think its performance um, over the, the past well, many years, um, but even more so recently, um, has probably got it a lot of attention, and, and I think it very, it very much is important, um, and 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 a very good alternative to other currencies, which um, which are basically being diluted away as as central bank balance sheet expands. Sure, fascinating stuff. Really interesting, especially as an economics teacher myself. I find it, I've always found FX trading, commodity trading, trading very interesting. Um, now, as you know, at the heart of this particular podcast is authenticity and well-being. Um, and I've been on a journey of researching and discovering methods of well-being. Now, I always ask all the interviewers this question. Um, you know, being involved in such a FX trading is known to be exceptionally stressful. Um, as you said, it's high, highly energetic role. What has been your go-to thing for your own well-being and peace of mind at times when you've been in stressful situations? Well, first of all, I think that um, if, if anyone uh, wants to be good at, uh, at what they do, whatever line of work it may be, uh, you know, there's got to be a degree of energy involved. So anything can be energetic. Um, to, to make anything good, you, you have to put energy into it. Whether it turns out to be stressful or not is always down to the individual. Um, you know, my go-to these days, I probably should be doing more exercise, but I, I don't, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, but my, my, my sort of shorter cut go-to, uh, if it were, is, is probably a little bit more on the yoga side. Um, and when I say yoga, I don't mean, um, I don't mean the stretches and turns and poses. I, I'm talking about more, more simple um, or, or yeah, what appears to be more simple stuff. You know, breathing exercises, pranayam, 
yoga yeah. and, and various things like that, perhaps yeah. overlapping with, um, with meditation, which, uh, which again, I should be better at than, than I am. But, um, but I, I go there because that, that um, for me, basically, it, it calms the system and allows uh, me to focus. And everyone is going to be a little bit different. And, and whatever, I would say, what, whatever works for your system, for your body, your mind, um, your intelligence to focus and then deliver is, um, is, is, is a journey. And, and one should find the answers to these so that, you know, whatever you end up doing, uh, and not just, not just work in terms of career, but any activity, mm-hmm. then, um, then you should be good at it. Because Excellent. if anything is worth doing, it's worth doing well. So Absolutely. And focus. Well make a, a good effort and, and, and be energetic about it. Yes. And focus and success goes in hand in hand as well. So that would probably help you in your job and what you do um, by having that period of time to shut down and go within and focus to then make the right decisions in, an, in a field which requires where decision making is everything. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think we call anybody successful if they're, if they're not focused. I mean, I, I don't remember meeting anyone who is not focused who mm-hmm. I thought was successful. It just doesn't exist. Finally, you have been um, sort of steering a little bit away from the work you've been doing in large corporations and you've in fact set up your own markets.com. Yeah, so, so Markets is, is basically a platform to share intelligence uh, market thoughts for, for those who are interested. Um, you know, it, again, it, it concentrates on uh, all the different financial markets um, and, and puts them together in a dynamic way uh, whereby, we, you know, we're really looking at uh, how a development in one market impacts another. A lot of it, you know, obviously is, um, is drawn from, from my experience up to date. Um, so, you know, on there, there's articles, uh, there's also a podcast, uh, there'll be charts. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really a, a sharing of, um, of, of intelligence within the marketplace and business. And what do you hope to achieve from this area that you're developing? What is your final goal? I'm not entirely sure. There's a few possibilities out of it. Uh, you know, it's a work in progress for the time being. It's a bit new at the moment. I'm on a massively, uh, very steep learning curve. I was never really technologically that experienced or, or good, but I'm learning that along the way. And there's various different potential uh, uh, outcomes from this that, uh, that, that uh, will become uh, more apparent and clearer as time goes on. Of course. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been really great talking to you, learning about you know, what you've been doing day- today in the FX arena. It's been really interesting and all the best with uh, Sav Markets and everything else you choose to do in the future. Thanks, Malini. It's been nice talking to you too.